This is Coda Radio, episode 416 for May 31st, 2021. Hi there, and welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. You know, a cloud guru has cloud playground. That's Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud sandboxes on ACG's credit card, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and joining us like the podcasting master he is, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. What's up, Chris Fisher? We're going home. I missed you, you know. I missed you because we took a week off so I could uh, travel, and I get the itches, you know. So I gotta like, I gotta like ping you in Slack and stuff just to get like my fix. Right. You kind of watch the Phantom Menace in private browsing mode so nobody else knows. I get it. Yeah, and then I just, I just send you like a like a rec- audio recording of my breathing while I watch the movie, not the audio of the movie, just no. my breathing, you know. So, so you have that because I want you to have that. That's amazing. Hey, I apologize if I sound like butt. I'm in Idaho. You know, it can't be helped because I'm in Idaho. So I'm not in the studio. I'm in Idaho. I'm in Coeur d'Alene. You ever been to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? It's beautiful. I can't claim that I have. I tell you what, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a part of Washington and a little bit of Texas and Montana all mixed into one spot here. It's actually kind of pleasant. Are you on a classified mission for Lady Jupes? I don't <laughs> Yeah, secret podcasting business, obviously, you know, as always, I got secret podcasting biz. On Her Majesty's podcasting service, right? This, this is my return west. I'm heading back west, back to Seattle, and uh, stopped here for a couple of days. And um, been getting some business done, and I've been, like, fighting stupid technical issues. Well, actually, let me tell you something, man. On my way out here, like, just mechanical issue after mechanical issue. I've, I've paid nearly a thousand dollars in emergency repairs just on the drive out here. Right. Not lady tubes. Yeah. 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 It's almost like these RVs break down all the time or something. I, I don't know how to explain it. Mm. <laughs> Actually, I am legitimately struggling with a design flaw. You know, you know, you, you know, sometimes like you get down the road, like a few years in a project and you discover there's a fundamental design flaw that really can't be fixed. <laughs> nope. That's never happened to me. And uh, unless you can prove it, my lawyers will tell you no. Yeah. Yeah. And so the way that this thing works is it has these slides that go out for the kitchen and the living room and it, it gives you a, like a, a miraculous amount of space inside a vehicle. But when those slides break, um, you're immobilized. And so the engine can be in great shape. You can have tires, great suspension. You can have solar power. You can be an off-grid machine. But if your slides break, you're just screwed. And so that kept happening to us. But the highlight of the trip really was, as I suspect the kid and the wife might have gotten COVID. I'm not sure, because obviously, how can I tell without getting them tested? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. They both got sick, came down with the symptoms. Uh, The wife and I have been vaccinated, so I don't know how she would have gotten it. But she, you know, the uh, stuffy nose. Uh, cough, uh, lost a taste, um, you know, just checking off the fatigue. Her and the, her and the boy have the same exact symptoms, but nobody else has gotten it. So we're, of course, doing the whole like quarantine thing now. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure I speak for all the listeners here, but wish you guys well. That, that's awful. Thank you. So far, I haven't, I don't seem to have any symptoms. I, I don't seem, oh man, tell you what. So, but you know, there's been nice things too, family time and all that. Yeah. So it's like, so now the kids are gone, right? They're, they've left with their mom. And, uh, you know, I, while the kids are here and it gets towards the end of the trip, I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be so nice when it's just a DNI. It's going to be quiet and we won't have any kids. And then legitimately, the, the moment the kids leave, I'm like, oh, I miss the kids. What kind of what kind of screwed up? Like, I torture myself like, oh, I can't wait for quiet time. And then I get it. And I'm like, oh, I miss the kids. And I never I never am happy. Nobody told me this was the deal with fatherhood. I have the same experience. My kid has been with grandma for approximately eight hours and I'm like a meth fiend jonesing right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's like, I've been waiting for this for like a week <laughs> you know, and then it gets here actually more than a week. Right. I've been for two weeks. I've been waiting. And then it gets here. And I'm like, Oh, I just, I don't know. So anyways, I'm here in Coeur d'Alene now, self quarantining in my RV symptomless so far. And I just have a few more days to wait out and <laughs> then I'll be back on my way again. <laughs> Oh, so let's do some emails. I hope it's not about robes. Yeah. So Drew writes in, he said, I hadn't heard much about the robe. (laughs) (laughs) 
God damn it. I know we were off. And so I didn't mention the robe. And uh, so I'm curious about I'd like it a robe update um, because, uh, you know, he wants his uh, he wants his coder. So some some very, very thankfully and very frustrating stuff in here. And, um, you know, it, it is what it is with this damn thing. But some people have received their robes and that's incredible. So that's the that's the positive side. I'll start with that. The positive thing is some robes have gone out. The negative thing is only small batches at a time are going out, and it's going to be that way probably until the end of June if their current estimates are correct. And it is 100% my fault because I delayed trying to solve the international shipping. I pushed the manufacturing back into a international global supply chain shutdown. And if you could not believe it, after all of the other troubles I had with this robe, we are now dealing with a supply chain shortage for the raw materials to actually make the robe itself. Because of course, I had to pick a fancy material. I had to pick something nice and comfortable that would last. And so I- You were listening to ATP and Marco. Yes, I understand. I got all fancy, you know, I got my fancy, fancy robe. And now of course, that's in a material shortage. So they get a little bit, they can make a few and they send them out and they say it's going to be done by the end of June, but I am actually pretty skeptical of that man. Oh man. And if I, you know what I, now what I would do is I would order all of the robes and have them shipped to the studio. And then I would either ship them out from the studio or do fulfillment. Like I could do this robe again in, in two weeks and it'd be done. It'd be open up the orders, take the orders for a week. And then the next week they ship out because what I would do now is I would just buy a batch of them and I would stock them and I would take care of the shipping aspects. And I, I made such a mistake with this one, but I realized how else would I have ever figured this stuff out? The system I have now is like dialed in. I'm actually pretty proud of it. Learned a lot of lessons, but this damn effing robe is still not done and it legitimately feels like when you're going through a rough patch in life and then you're like when this robe is done and shipped and i'm on the other side of this thing it's gonna feel like i've come through something like it, like i've gone through a phase of life i cannot believe all of the issues and this delay was totally my fault i knew I knew before I ever opened my dumb, stupid mouth on air, I knew I shouldn't commit to international orders because I didn't know. I just it was an unknown. But I thought to myself, I thought, how hard can it be? I can figure this out. I'll figure it out. I'm a clever guy. How hard can it be? And then a pandemic happened and I had me being Mr. Clever trying to delay and trying to get the international shipping figured out. So it wasn't 85 effing dollars a robe. That delay pushed it right into this whole supply chain shortage thing. And if it's just not one damn thing after another with this robe, <laughs> I'm so done with it. <sighs> so it's close, though. It's close. I haven't received mine yet. So <laughs> there you go. It's legitimately not like even like a first come, first serve order thing. I, it's, I don't even know the order they're sending them out in. <sighs> and you know what happens when you have something that gets delayed like this for this long? People move. They move because months have gone by. And so now we have to like try to like catch orders in flight and update their shipping address when people move, which by the way, if you're moving and want to ship to a different address, email me, Chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com because I'm going to put a batch in uh, for a couple of order updates um, in a couple of days. So if you want to get yours in when you're hearing this, let me know. But yeah, so there you go, Drew. Uh, that is the latest. So if you are email me and you haven't gotten yours yet, then you aren't one of the first that have gotten theirs. But don't worry, uh, neither am I. <laughs> ah, never again i know what i'll do and i like the company we're working with still coffee cups just do coffee cups. well i mean i could do i just would anything anything i would just do it differently than the the key thing is and i don't want to throw any particular company under the bus here but the key core like total mistake i made is trying to get the manufacturer to work directly with another shipping company or do the drop shipment themselves instead of just getting me all of the product. I tried to have it go directly from manufacturing to the customer. And that was a bad idea. It seemed like the simplest route because it seemed like a dumb idea to like have me involved as a middleman managing the shipping. But clearly, clearly that would have been better because now what we've implemented with Jupiter Garage has been so smooth it's so efficient. It's, it's just so much better that it's obvious. That's the way I should have gone from the beginning, but I guess I just, I wouldn't have known until I tried. And now I just want to have to have a drink. I want to think about the robe. I just want to drink. Uh, and one day I will, I'll be sipping my whiskey and, uh, 
wearing nothing but a robe. But in the meantime, Simon writes, uh, hi, guys. You know, recently, Mike literally described Chrome OS, and this is in regards to uh, like a Linux vendor that could save us from the integrated Apple experience. Mm -hmm. He said, Mike described Chrome OS and Chromebooks in episode 414, a Linux distro and OS that is tightly integrated with the hardware and doesn't care about including proprietary blobs. Google will eventually cut the right deals with the right OEMs who are working on something approaching the M1. It'll be a little while, but I think we'll see a device running Linux that compete with Apple, and maybe it'll just be on price, but maybe it'll also be performance. The GPL extremists will find a way to complain about it, but at least there will be something to compete with Apple. Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? Is Google Chromebooks going to save us? No. Just no. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I would, I mean... I think the issue I had, and this is the case I tried to make in the episode, is, I, I mean, yes, Apple has impressive hardware, blah, blah, blah. The software gets updated and modified to support the hardware. That's great and matters, blah, blah, blah. But I think I think it's more about the companies, and I think it's the culture in the companies, and I think that's why nobody's catching up with Apple. It's not a matter of a technical deal with Samsung to make a crazy great ARM processor to go in a Chromebook that then gets sold at Best Buy, because that's been the strategy all along. It's that these companies don't have the follow-through and the actual ability to do the end-to-end deals and software and integration necessary. Yeah, I think it's just not going to happen because, yeah, I mean, you're right. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. Jimmy writes and he says, you know, gentlemen, I wanted to share a thought on Chris's comment about Apple's edge when designing hardware and software together with the performance improvements seemingly like they're an unstoppable force these days. And I want to just pause right here if you're just catching, if you're just catching up. Mike and I have been discussing recently that we think the reason why Apple keeps coming up so much in the emails and in the news and in our conversations is because they're really pulling ahead right now in a way that kind of seems unstoppable in terms of performance and software integration. And one of the things we talked about uh, as, a, as an example is in the M1 architecture now, they have the big little setup where you have the high-powered cores, the fast cores, and you have the high-efficiency cores. And when they rolled those out, macOS immediately supported that. And one of the things that contributes to fantastic battery life, apparently on these M1s, is a lot of the background tasks, you know, scheduled jobs and operating system maintenance. The OS has been designed to put lower priority tasks on the lower efficiency, or I should say the higher efficiency cores, the cores that save power. And that was a that was a good example of hardware rolls out, everything just supports it, performance is incredible. And it's, a, it's an example of sort of this focused, focused attack mode that Apple goes into when developing these products. But Jimmy says it reminded him of a recent episode on Sam Harris's podcast. Him and a guest talked about loose cultures and ordered cultures and how they respond to threats, change, and a myriad of other topics. The connection he's making here is that Apple is effectively an ordered culture when it comes to products, which geopolitically is much like China. China's strength is that it can act with efficiency, building hospitals in weeks, and really own the messaging and the process. This is a benefit of their ordered culture, but it comes at the cost of certain liberties within society. Apple can own the entire process as well as set the rules of the game, which we're going to see in the Epic case. Sort of a similar comparison. Meanwhile, the x86 and AMD and, you know, the non-Apple ARM devices, their culture is much more fragmented into loose confederacy or groups that can't really operate at the efficiency of Apple, particularly with hardware software integration. This kind of reminds me, Jimmy says, of the United States and how efficient they are at responding to anything, really. The confederacy allows great and terrible ideas to equally flourish. So it'll always be behind in some regards to consumer hardware because of this. Add to this, Apple's ordered structure lends itself to a strong brand because it doesn't have to share that with anyone else. What brand does the non-Apple world have with consumer hardware? Where's the leadership in that confederacy? It's fragmented and it cannot compete with Apple right now. So he's saying, and I'm curious to know your take on this, what Jimmy is saying is it's essentially just the structure of these groups. And so for a while, Apple is going to run away with it. They're going to they're going to push forward and they're going to lap the hardware industry and the software integration industry. And iOS devices will remain super fast because of this. And now MacBooks will, too. And there's nothing the x86 world can do because of the way it's structured right now. That seems pretty bleak, Mike. It's pretty bleak. I mean, it also has a lot to do with like decisions Intel made years ago that no one could have foreseen as being bad, but were kind of bad, right? They kind of backed themselves into a corner. I, I don't remember what episode it was, but John Syracuse on ATP had a great breakdown of how Intel accidentally backed themselves into a corner 
Now, one thing I think that's maybe a little parochial, but but he misses in this email, is Apple just has infinite money effectively to do whatever they want, right? So Apple does not need to sell these processors to, to anyone at a profit. And I don't know if you know this, Chris, but Apple's profit margin on all their products is a... Uh, I, be, I believe it's called fat with a pH. <laughs> Especially those dongles. Right. They can sort of just take the pain where let's say Intel or Qualcomm kind of have to sell, you know, that's a, that's a volume versus margin business. Right. So. And there's licensing fees at each stage that cut into the other person's, uh, you know, profits for that particular product. I, you know, I go back to like, you know, you, you just dismissed it, dismissed it out of hand, but um, that, that modular laptop that uses the USB-C interconnects to uh, let you sort of assemble your own machine with the own, with your own ports. And, I just, I keep like Alexi wrote in and Alexi's like, it's just it, at the end of the day, it, it's never going to matter because they don't let you repair the machines. And those, that's just a hard line for him. Uh, he says, I know uh, you guys like your iPad pros and Fl- uh, Florida man <laughs> likes his M1. Uh, but what would it take for you to give up on these platforms? I, I, cause to him, it's like, that's just a line he won't cross. He's like, so they're never going to let you repair it. They don't respect your rights. Uh, how is that not just a full stop right there? He Alexi says, just stop giving Apple your money. <laughs> I just, uh, I think that's how a lot of people feel out there in the audience is that's a line that's just too far. Like that's the ultimate sin is baking all of the parts in and never letting you, you know, upgrade the hard drive or replace a hard drive or replace a battery. Okay. But the problem is that's exactly what I want, right? I mean, I can't speak for you, but you know, if, um, you know, Dell or System76, you know, my preferred Linux vendor, made me the equivalent of an iMac Pro that was an all-in-one that had a goddamn camera and good microphone in the screen that I didn't have to worry about switching audio inputs, I would do it, right? That's kind of what I want. I don't want to have to hook up a webcam. I don't want to run cable. I don't want, um, I mean, my hatred of fan noise is well-recorded. Right to repair... I mean, I know, yeah, sure, in theory, but I don't repair anything. I just pour gin on it and throw it out. So, I think the success of laptops in the consumer market and in the business market has kind of shown that there is not a huge, huge general drive of these kinds of repairabilities. I think most people treat these as dispensable appliances, as maybe as reprehensive and non-sustainable as that is, they just treat them as replaceable appliances. You know, Alexi went on to say that right to repair matters more because of just the significant uh, failure rates of Mac devices. He goes on a lot about the, you know, the M1s are are, are failing and uh, the hard drives are bad. And I, th- I see these kinds of things go around a lot on the internet, but I think it comes down to scale. Like when you sell millions of a product and then thousands have issues and those thousands take to the internet to complain it sends a skewed perspective I'm, and i i i really hate that it sounds like i'm defending apple here because i think it should be repairable it is kind of a line for me and that's why every mac i've ever bought has been after much consternation and really weighing the pros and cons of that tool or not so it does bother me um, and that's why i do tend to lean towards devices that give me access to swap those parts out but even my trusty x1 carbon here now has a soldered in uh, hard drive. I have them holding it right here in my hands. You can you can hear the solid plastic. That nice uh, <laughs> plastic. Right. My Windows box is an X1 car- carbon now. Yeah. And I don't know about the Windows version, but the Linux version has soldered down storage. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so, yay me. Uh, so now my ThinkPad has soldered storage and a built-in battery, too, that I can't remove. And so it just seems to be going across the entire industry. It's perhaps maybe it's a like an old man thing. Like it's something that early computer users expect, Mike, and, and new computer users maybe just don't even think of it. I see. I feel like it's the opposite. Like, and I know I was kind of slag, slagging off the Alexi here, but when I was younger, I actually would have been right there with them. It's now that I'm like a boring dad that I'm kind of like, ah, I just don't care. Right. If it breaks, I want to drive it 20 minutes to the store and have them give me a new one. Man, we, have we, we've heard that a lot. Like I, you know, I got old and busy. And now I just don't build PCs anymore and I don't really want to troubleshoot them when I get home. You know, when we see people that talk about why they've switched. I have a real world case. You know, I'm in the market for a uh, flight simulation machine again. And I have that old Thalio, you know, and it was built for when I bought it. I don't know, was it three years ago, two years ago now? Whenever it was. But the problem is to upgrade it to the GPU I need, I would need to replace the power supply, which is not impossible. 
right in a Thalia. That's like very doable. But that's just something I'm like, uh, do I really want to do that? Well, now it's a project. It's not, you could do it, but it's a project now. It's already running our legacy version of our software. So it's like, you know, it wouldn't hurt to have two, especially because I kind of got my landlord at the office in Plant City to pick up the power bill. He's going to regret that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mining time. <laughs> I can't, I can't. It's, it's a shame about Dogecoin, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Man, crypto in general is just taking it. Just take it. Thank, thanks, Elon. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. That was That was nice. But I don't know. Anyway, let's talk about uh, better things such as Linode. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in credit for 60 days on your new account and you support the show. Go see why they are hosting provider. We use Linode for everything we deploy now. I have been for the last couple of years. Linode's infrastructure is solid. It's flexible. And you can focus on your project, not the infrastructure details that you don't really have time to worry about anyways. And they have 11 data centers to choose from. And every service level is backed by the best. I mean, really, guys, the best customer service in the business. I love their dedication to that. You know, Linode started way back in 2003. I like to mention that because it matters. It's not just a trivial fact. That's before AWS, before Azure, before the quote-unquote big clouds. They knew what they were doing back then, and they focused on one thing, and they just got it right. A couple of months ago, I set up a SyncThing server just to make life easier. It's a $5 Linode. $5. And it runs SyncThing, and I also use it as an SSH jump host. It's nice knowing that I have something out in the cloud to help me manage my sync thing instance. It just moves data around faster. They got crazy fast systems, crazy fast networks. And I use Linode for everything from the back end for download services or encoding services for the podcast. Simple things like moving data around and jump hosts. I love the fact that they have cloud firewalls. They have node balancers and they have one click application deployments if you just want to get something up and going quick. I tend to build from scratch because I want I want like a minimum viable box, right? And they have some of those for you to one-click deploy as well. And that's the great thing is the range of options for pros or beginners is all there with Linode, and they make it all very accessible with their dashboard. So head over to linode.com slash coder. Get that $100 in credit and try it out. Go build a system. Perhaps it could be the perfect place for your next application or a great way to learn. There's a lot of ways to host something and a lot of various companies that will do it for you. Go see why we always choose Linode over and over. Linode.com slash coder. So last week, Microsoft build went down and I went to just read the reviews and the press and the take on it. And it was so freaking negative. I have never seen this much of hate for a build event. So I wanted to get your take on it because I'm betting you loved it. <laughs> I mean, I sort of think it was the best Linux conference ever. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know, maybe you're right. You know, what's wild is so, of course, you know, you, Satya Nadella, he gets up there during Satya's uh, keynote. He talked about Linux more than he talked about Windows. As pandemic as this is, uh, he was timed. And the entirety that he spent in the keynote talking about Windows was one minute and five seconds. And I grabbed it for you because I really want to talk about what he says on the other side. Across all the opportunities I've highlighted today, Windows is implicit. It's never been more important. Windows 10 is used by more than 1.3 billion people to work, learn, connect, and play. And it all starts with Windows as a dev box. Windows brings together all your developer and collaboration tools in one place. It lets you choose the hardware you want, works with Linux and Windows environments as one, and has a modern terminal. And soon we will share one of the most significant updates of Windows of the past decade to unlock greater economic opportunity for developers and creators. I've been self-hosting it over the past several months, and I'm incredibly excited about the next generation of Windows. Our promise to you is this. We will create more opportunity for every Windows developer today and welcome every creator who is looking for the most innovative, new, open platform to build and distribute and monetize applications. We look forward to sharing more very soon. Unlock greater economic opportunity for developers. He said that once, and then he said again later, we will create more opportunity for every Windows developer today. Okay, I have so much here. Do you want me to start with the negative or the positive? Maybe we start with the negative and we'll end it on, you know, nice little end it on a high note thing. If I was a pure .NET 
client side developer, I would be afraid. I would be very afraid because all this Maui stuff, this .NET 6 stuff, like I've been looking into it and I listened to the sessions. This sounds an awful lot like the dream of Metro that never happened, right? Like .NET is going to be your high level platform to cross all the all the clients. And also, um, there's a great post and I wish I had put in the show notes and I'll, I'll shoot it to you in Slack later from the, you know, Rufus, the, uh, uh, ISO flashing application. Sure. Yeah. There is a GitHub issue where someone was kind of giving him a rough time about not making it a UWP app. And he goes into great detail about why he can't. And as someone who routinely ships UWP to clients cause they want it, um, there are limitations in UWP. It's not nearly as strict as iPad OS or, ugh. Here's a dirty secret, kids. It's just iOS, or um, you know, you know, iOS in general. But it has some some constraints. It's getting to the point of. I'll give you a perfect example that you have in the show notes. WebView two. Do you know what the difference between WebView two and the regular WebView is? No, I don't think so. Okay, I will tell you. One is backed by uh, Chromium, but not available in most modern browsers, and one is backed by, uh, I believe it's old IE. Oh, oh. And unless you're on a very specific version called the WinUI 3, as you have in the notes, you cannot use WebView 2. And this literally bit me in the ass about a week and a half ago, right after we recorded last week's show. <laughs> oh, really? Because I thought I was operating, I had to do a, an embedded WebView in a uh, it's a it's a Windows app, but it's like a tablet kiosk thing. So like nobody knows it's Windows. But I'm like, son of a bitch, why doesn't this work? And the answer was because that particular JavaScript feature, I was DOM feature, I was trying to access, did not work in IE. But the version of Windows they were running and the SDK I was hitting was not WebView two, even though I thought it was. So boy, that feels just like a classic Microsoft Windows, like JRE versus the Microsoft Java runtime, <laughs> like the whole thing all over again. Oh, hang on, I'm still swinging here. So Project Reunion, one great name that says we forked up. Basically, UWP, WPF, WinForms, Xamarin, or as Chris calls it, Xamarin, <laughs> yep. are all going to come together into some sort of strange Voltron of hell. Um, Finally. This is basically admitting defeat, right? This is, we had too many objectives. Oh, and let's not forget my hero, Steven Sanofsky, who, by the way, I will die on this hill, was correct in his assertion that C++ development on Windows is the right way to do it. Send your hate mail to alan at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And for all their love, for all their selling you on this, can we call it crap? Can we do that now? I think so. I think you're making a good case why it is crap. For all the selling you on this crap that hasn't worked since some moron lost $40,000 on Windows Phone. Don't know who that could be. I mean, I don't know. What did they announce right afterwards? Linux GUI apps on WSL. How do you feel, client-side Windows developers? How does that feel? Does it hurt? Did you cry a little? It seems it seems people did not like it very much. People were not very happy about that. <laughs> All throughouts, less than thrilled. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Hmm. I mean, they're promising, though. They're promising a very, very positive and potentially lucrative future, though, now that they got all their S figured out and they got everything dialed in now. The next version of Windows 10 or whatever it's going to be called um, is, you know, Windows Sun Valley is going to be rocking for developers. I mean, what do you suppose he's inferring? I think what they're going for, right, is and, and I've had some good experience, too, because I mean, shout out to the folks at uh I think they call themselves White Foundry now, but the Penguin WSL uh, distro for, for Windows 10. Like Windows as a host OS for your development box is actually kind of good now. I mean, it's not Pop OS good or, you know, I mean, nothing is M1 good. So sorry, Alexi. But I think that's what he means. But honestly, you're, you're going to be deploying to Linux because it's a superior server operating system and Windows licenses are a waste of time on the server. Mm, true, true. Oh, and let's not talk about embedded costs. Windows 10 was released July 29th, 2015, and they have a Windows-focused event coming up this year in June where they are supposedly going to reveal more of this new overhauled Windows with them. Um, I, I guess some, some visual updates that are taking elements from the now defunct Windows 10X and going to integrate it into the whatever the next version of Windows is. Sache says it'll be the biggest update to Windows in a decade. And no one cares, really. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay. I'm sorry, a butterfly flew by and I forgot what you said. 
I know. I, 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 I wonder. I wonder what they could do. I mean, he really laid it on thick that it's going to be about making developers and creators. They use those two two things in one sentence. Developers and creators are going to be able to make more money on Windows is basically what it sounds like. Um, I don't know about that. I guess we will see. Also, uh, they've released their, or I guess they will be releasing a developer kit. It's coming this summer. I think there's a few people that have it in beta, um, a ARM developer kit for Windows, which is, it looks like a, a new take on doing Windows on ARM that may actually work this time, but I, I even hesitate to even say that. But it's it's a Snapdragon developer kit, so it's coming from Sam, or Qualcomm, it's coming with a Qualcomm processor in it, not Samsung, a Qualcomm processor in it. And um, it'll be the, you know, the platform that people will use for the next version of Windows on ARM. I, I try to, I try to be interested, but I just, I guess I just, I feel like this, this has shipped. Like it seems like Windows is clearly the x86 general computing platform for desktop and. Yeah. All right. So in certain spaces, this is kind of a thing. I, I was a little excited about the Qualcomm. Announcement. Oh, is it? Okay. Now, but there's very specific spaces and where I can use like an embedded Linux or like, um, it used to be Debian embedded. Now, actually, folks, at least that I'm that hire me are moving on to Ubuntu because Canonical's like, fork the desktop. How about the enterprise? And that seems to be going well for them. So, business. And notice I'm censoring myself all the good place. Drew actually uh, took me to the woodshed and he had his, his uh, fraternity paddle. So, <laughs> wow. You know, he must have, if, if he did that, if he took time out of moving, you know, it must have been important. Well, he, he put the holes in it to make it really aerodynamic. And he got, he got a, just Ooh, a nice swing. Yeah, yeah. It was almost like Milyorn, like Thor was hitting me. So, yeah. He's got a strong, you know, he's got strong forearms. You know, you wouldn't expect it. He's but, got uh, those Nordic genes too. So I feel like they're, I don't know, like, is he the last son of Asgard? I'm not saying that, but I think people in the IRC should talk, start talking about that. So I know we wonder. I know we do. Apple wonders if Microsoft is using Epic in this legal battle. This is a little juicy nugget that came out in a filing that Apple made asking the judge to make, quote, an adverse credibility finding against Lori Wright, an Xbox executive. In there, Apple kind of lays it all out. It's essentially this thing saying you got to disqualify this witness because uh, they have a axe to grind. And they claim that a reasonable observer might wonder whether Epic is serving as a stalking horse for Microsoft. Microsoft, this is a quote from Apple, Microsoft shielded itself from meaningful discovery in this litigation by not appearing as a party or sending a corporate representative to testify. But Apple claims as many witnesses associated with Microsoft testified as did witnesses associated with Epic. In other words, nearly as many Microsoft employees testified as actual Epic employees testified. And Apple complains that Microsoft intentionally withheld internal communications and discussions with Epic that were requested for the trial. And Apple says such internal communications were particularly relevant in light of Microsoft's relationship with at least five Epic witnesses and the potential that Microsoft is using Epic as a proxy plaintiff in litigation that it refuses to prosecute in its own name. They're claiming proxy war. Hang on, are we in Vietnam again? Isn't this wild? Does it kind of make sense? I don't know. I mean, not really. No. Apple's a pretty sober company when it comes to this legal stuff. I don't. I mean, I don't think they just randomly make this up. Okay, then what does Microsoft gain? Well, the Office subscriptions on iOS. I mean, yeah, the, the obvious thing, of course. Well, when yeah, and when you look at it from the from the view of it was like Xbox employees that were testifying. Maybe Microsoft sees the iOS platform as taking, you know, playtime away from the Xbox. I'm not sure. Maybe they feel like they have to break Apple's monopoly on, on you know, the App Store payment system in order to bring their own services and be competitive. I mean, xCloud would be like the obvious answer, but I don't know, man. Doesn't it seem like a bit much to you? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yes. But the fact that so many Microsoft employees did testify, and there were some other Microsoft connections that came out earlier that kind of were a little iffy. It does make one wonder. It kind of made me think if this is true, it's like the battled Microsoft of Days Your that is back but doing it on the DL. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's what it suggests to me. If it's true, to what end? Like XCloud makes just a ton of sense to me. Yeah, but I don't know. 
I mean, I try to follow the business side of these companies. And granted, as much as people say I'm a shill because I like WSL, I, 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 I'm not, I don't follow Microsoft quite that closely, but my impression is that like it's all about Azure. Like Xbox is just not like they're not going to war over Xbox. I'm sorry, but it's I wouldn't think so. Then again, you know, if Apple acts like a vacuum in the tech space, sucking all the air out of the room, maybe Microsoft feels like they got to take them down a notch or two to make some money in a, in a in a segment. But I would like anybody to take them down a notch or two. Like Chris, can can we just like fly Lady Jupes into there? The funny thing about this Epic trial, everybody everybody who talked about what a rock star team the Epic lawyers were. And so I tuned in a couple of times. They got rolled. They were clowns, man. They set like they sounded unprofessional. They even sometimes like didn't appropriately address the judge and got a correction, like basic court decorum stuff. And then they didn't seem very organized. And then at the very beginning of the trial, they tried to pull all these crazy delay tactics and they tried to make all of these extra exceptions because of COVID that basically Apple's legal team just l- l- argued were just BS. And the judge agreed. And it was pathetic. And everybody's talking about what a rock star team they are. And so I wonder, the only thing I could think of is like, what does Microsoft have to lose here, right? Like they they give the insurgents a little bit of ammo and communication utilities and say, go on, go fight the empire. I mean, I would I would definitely suggest a different term than insurgents, but okay, you just keep rolling the way you're <laughs> Wait, rolling. But you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying though? It's like maybe they, to them, it's such a low cost to just, you know, send off a few employees and, and maybe give them a little legal advice or de- dedicate a few lawyers of Microsoft's team to them. It's such a small cost to help them go up against the big empire that's sucking all of the money out of the system. It's possible. It's possible. Or it's a cl- it's a clever legal, legal trick by Apple's team to just like, I don't know, just make everybody look somewhere else. One, one of those seems a lot more likely than the others. But I, th- I think because we're, we're dangerously close to rolling into my uh, my WWDC predictions because it's closely related. But oh, datadog.com slash coder radio. Analyze code level performance across your environment and troubleshoot issues faster with Datadog. The tools are beautiful and the way you can visualize problems and find performance issues and then put everyone on the same page with with Datadog, it's just an invaluable tool. Datadog's continuous profiler, it'll automatically collect profiles from your production servers all the time. So you can analyze anything you need quickly from any point in time with minimal overhead. Get a unified picture of your entire environment. I'm talking from the metal to the applications and network layer and code performance metrics with all your other real-time data in these beautiful dashboards. Beautiful. Datadog.com slash Radio, And they have over 450 integrations with business applications that you likely use. You get tracing, you get log management, and that continuous profiler I mentioned, it's all in one platform with Datadog. It enables you to pinpoint the root cause of issues faster and communicate them better than ever. So go try Datadog's products for free for 14 days by visiting datadog.com slash Radio. And for a limited time, if you go over there and you start a trial and you create just one dashboard, you'll get a free t-shirt. But you got to go to datadog.com slash Radio. Get that 14-day free trial and support the show and some swag. datadog.com slash Radio. So WWDC is next week. It's on Monday. The keynote will be at 10 a.m. Pacific time, Monday, June 7th. And I am planning to do a mystery science theater style watch along where I give light commentary. I may or may not do that. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But I'm right now I'm planning at jblive.tv to do that Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific. All right. So we know we're going to get, you know, we know we're, you know, we're going to get software updates. We're going to get Apple boasting about how incredible they are. But so I'm wondering if you thought of anything or you expect anything that we haven't really, you know, seen out there floating around or what is not just common to expect from an event like this. Not to flip the script on you. I want to say what we're, I wrote a whole blog post on DominicM.com and I haven't blogged in some time. I'm getting back to the real world now. And I have a sexy new design on my website, by the way. So check it out. Ooh, I'm going to go check it out. It's very the Mad Botter branded. So I'm going to say what we're not going to get. I don't think we're getting AR glasses, AR meaning augmented reality for folks who aren't in the know. All right, I'm, I'm with you on this. I don't think we're getting major concessions on developer freedom in terms of, you know, not having to be approved by Apple, Apple's cut, um, updates, trials, things like that. I think it's 
basic, there might be like some small gesture, but we're not getting anything. And I think that's all table stakes. And unless Chris, unless you think I'm crazy, I think we should just jump away from that. I mean, I think it's so awkward if they don't address some of the stuff that's come out around this space, especially during the Epic trial. Okay. So, so, so what do you think they would do then? I wonder if they would, if they don't go all in on talking about how much money they make for developers and the amount of new developers they've created. Well, they, but they do that every year. I'm talking about something, something actionable, like a change in policy. I, I guess I kind of agree. I could, I could, I'm thinking about the commentary afterwards and I could see people going, oh, they didn't even, they didn't even address it. They're so arrogant. They didn't even touch on it. Like I could see that. So I think I'm with you. They're not even going to make a concession. Like even though they should, it's like, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to introduce side loading and they're not going to introduce alternative payments. That's <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> So my, my longest shot bet as a concession to developers is going to be iPad OS, which I, I mean, I hate that they call it iPad OS. It's, it's, it, God damn it, it's iOS. Uh, inter-process enablement, which is my kind of PC way of saying, basically, you know, just like we have in Unix and Windows and basically everything, inter-process communications, i.e. apps can talk to each other in an unfettered way at the developer level. Oh, that'd be good. Not using crazy-ass URL schemes, which I know they have, and someone will write in. I feel like this is my longest shot prediction because it does enable a certain kind of, you know, I'm Microsoft and I have this suite of apps and they all talk to each other directly rather than through a server. Right. But that would be awesome for users and that would definitely enable a bunch of, uh, quote, you know, production power user workflows. They've got to do something here. They've got to because of the new iPad Pro hardware. If they do something here and mark it down, people who are going to troll me, I will do an iPad app if they do this because this is one of the main things holding me back. And it's one of the main things holding back the purchase of a more powerful iPad. Like I have a 2018 iPad Pro and I have, I mean, I sure, an M1 with a, a fancy ass uh, screen. Sure. I ordered one of those. I should have it in a few weeks and I will be reviewing. Yeah, I, the new iPad Pro. I ordered the 11 inch. Yeah. I mean, you've got to be assuming they've, because I even, I even read, although I don't know if it's true because I only read it from one source, that iOS can't even take advantage of 16 gigs of RAM, that they're shipping these things if you get the, depending on how you configure it, with 16 gigs of RAM, that iOS only addresses. Like, I guess less than that. I don't know if it's true or not, but if, if these kinds of limitations are there, that like the inner process communication and memory limitations, it's, it's just obvious they're going to do something with it, but what, and will it be enough? That's really the question. Well, right. My, my position, I mean, we've been doing these WWDC shows for since, never mind. we're going to feel old uh, for a while. Yeah. Uh, and my whole thing about iPad has always been, it is not a hardware limitation. It's a policy and software limitation. But this year, I don't know, with the Epic trial, with just the massive amount of power they're putting in these iPads now, I did buy one on spec thinking, damn it, I want my Star Trek tablet. <laughs> That's all I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if they made it powerful enough, uh, I... If I, anything were to happen to my 2018 iPad Pro, I would replace it. And I, I admit it, as a happy Linux user, I admit that I use the shit out of my iPad Pro when I'm traveling. It is such a killer mobile work machine, and I have used it every single day of this trip, and it's a monster. And also now, over time, finally, I've got a couple of games on the thing that I actually enjoy too. So mm. for me, it is one of my best productivity machines. It's always reliable. It's always fast. It has its own dedicated internet connection, which is great sometimes. Like, I'm using it right now. <laughs> I am using it right now as I, I have a touchscreen mixer control. I am, I am using WireGuard on the iPad to connect back to the Jupiter Broadcasting Studio in Seattle, and I am physically moving the sliders on the mixer using a touchscreen control on my iPad. And I just have it here on a stand in front of me that's above my local mixer. So I have the remote studio mixer on my screen, and I have my local mixer. And it's, it's great for that kind of stuff. And I, and I don't want a machine there because I need something that fits in a little stupid stand and is silent. <laughs> and so, they you know, they're making a good tool, but it's just not good enough yet. So, God, man, I, I mean, it's a long shot. What you're talking about, they'd essentially have to create some sort of messaging bus that would be some kind of blessed messaging system that Apple allows. And it, I bet it'd even then be like a limited set of what you could actually use this oh, bus but, for. But, but it, it's just BSD under the hoods, man. This already exists. Like they just have to not block it. I know. So I'm gonna, so that was my long shot. My easy shot is Swift concurrency. Now it's easy because I follow Swift evolution 
And I'm not going to go too deep into this because I know our audience doesn't really give a crap about Swift. And uh, frankly, you shouldn't because Objective-C is in every way a better language. And if you're too stupid to understand how to handle memory, you deserve not to be a programmer. <laughs> so you burned. Basically, it simplifies dealing with uh, concurrency slash we used to call it threading in the bad old days, but we don't call it that anymore because reasons. All right, moving on. Um, Swift UI is greater than Combine. And by this, I am stealing a little bit from Casey Liss. Uh, I think Combine is in trouble. I, you know, if you follow the releases over this last year in 2020, when Combine was released in 2019, Swift UI is definitely the favored child. And yes, yeah, I agree. And I understand that Combine does work with Swift UI some, but that's not necessary. If I was a pure iOS developer, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, I would not be betting on Combine right now. I would be Swift UI all the way. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I think you're right. And also, uh, I know this sounds silly, especially after what you just said about Swift, but I think when the internet sees and and developers that are coming into the ecosystem see Swift attached to something, they're just going to be that that branding alone is what's going to draw them. Just branding. I know it seems silly, but that that works. Yeah, it's also Swift UI is like very, just very webby. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean that as an insult. If you're familiar at all with like web development stuff, it kind of makes more sense. Now, Combine, if you're familiar with React, Reactive, whatever React JS, Reactive Cocoa RX, whatever the hell they call it. Fine, but there are more people who are used to like web development, like regular sane web development than there are with reactive programming, right? Uh, my opinions on reactive programming are well documented on this program, so we don't need to, to go into that. I think your biggest bet here is the iPad stuff. I think you're right, though. I don't, but do you think this is going to, with the with Swift UI and sort of this this obvious favored child thing, there's no material result up on stage from Apple. It just sort of it just sort of becomes the way it is. They're going to smooth out some of the rough edges on Swift UI. I mean, for me, like I have a weird perspective on this, right? Because for me, the question is, is it worth it this summer to spend my time pounding out amongst all the client work I have to do a native iPad or iOS app? And that requires something, right? Some sort of new API that I think I have a unique take on. Right. Some Something new that you could take advantage of that wasn't available before that would be interesting and compelling to customers. Right. That that warrants the risk and the time and the possibility of Apple just saying no. Right. Like, I don't really care if there's going to be new Mac Pros. I don't know. I think that's all fine. Really? I was wondering. I Yeah. I. It seems like if not at, in June, then in the fall, right? Like, it's going to happen. Do you know what I do care about, though? Hmm. What's that? A configurable keyboard. System76.com, the new launch keyboard is here. Go design and buy yours today. System76.com, the launch configurable keyboard is engineered to be comfortable, fully customizable, and make your workflow even more efficient. It has a huge amount of customization options to make it flexible to your needs. This is the Cadillac of keyboards. You've wanted something nice in your life, and let's be honest, you got to touch your keyboard all the time. It's something you're physically interacting with, and it's something you're looking at all the time. And putting something special on that desk is going to make all of the difference. And then, of course, you're taking control back into your hands with the launch keyboard. You can configure multiple layers to your liking. And the launch has three cap sizes that give you a lot of configuration options. I went for the slightly quieter keycaps on my keyboard, which is going to be arriving soon, and I can't wait to tell you guys about it. But one of the things I'm looking forward to doing with my launch, once I get it, is use it as an editing tool to take advantage of some of the layers. And they have this beautiful piece of software they've designed that allows you to adjust the hardware functions. And then it saves that back to the keyboard. And you can then go plug in another machine and all that stuff you set up via software is in the keyboard firmware. <laughs> I love that. And in addition to just being a fantastic keyboard, it's also a super fast USB hub. With USB-C ports and USB-A ports, you can transfer like a terabyte of video footage in 15 minutes through the keyboard hub. That's going to be so useful in the studio because the PC that I have is way, 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 way far away. Like I got to get all these extender cables when I want to hook up USB devices. And now, now I'm just going to plug them right into the keyboard. Yeah, this is going to be my studio keyboard and I can't wait. It's handcrafted in Denver and it's made with love by the System76 team. And that's pretty special too. 
So go check out the launch and see if you want to get one for yourself. It's a beautiful keyboard and it's built like nothing you've ever seen before. Go check it out at system76.com and a huge congratulations to System76 for the launch of the launch, system76.com. You know, Mike, as I am on the road right now, I'm already kind of planning the next road trip. And I think if I can get Jupes all fixed up and ready to go in time in mid-ish, early, mid-early August timeframe, I think I'm going to make a trip to Denver and I am tempted to do a meetup, like a, like a get a JB meetup that we haven't done in forever because of the pandemic. And also, I'm hoping to go see Drew, editor of the show, and and uh, Mr. Cheese Bacon also is going to be in the Denver area very soon. And I'm hoping to get out to System76 and go see how they build the launch keyboard, though I haven't actually mentioned that to them yet. <laughs> so I'm hoping it's going to be quite a cool Denver trip in like the August time frame. So I wanted to let people know that if you're going to be in the area, um, I'm probably... I'm probably going to make more official announcements soon. So this is just like an early, hey, heads up. If you're in the Denver area, like, oh, I don't know, the week of the 16th, we could maybe do a meetup around then or something. So let me know. Send me an email if that is your thing. And uh, I'll start putting something together and I'll probably eventually make an official meetup post about it and let you know here on the show. You know, you and the kids should fly out. Come hang out with Drew and I. Sounds like fun. You know, just wear a mask the entire time. <laughs> That's the only thing. It's like, you, I don't know how the kid would do with that. The kids, you know, they're all right. My kids are all right with it. Like when we go into a store, several hour flight. I'm not so sure. Yeah. My Reese is basically Bane. He, he you know, no one cared. He said, mm, I put on the mask. Oh, welcome. <laughs> Good. That makes it easier. Yeah. I try to have fun with it. It does make it easier. I mean, he did snap in half the Batman stuffed animal I gave him. He kind of put it over his knee, but hey, we'll let that go. Just make sure he doesn't go around saying he was born in the dark because then you know he's turning. You know, he, he, he did say something about liberating Blackgate Prison, but I just sort of took his juice box <laughs> away. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. You get him off the juice and they, they'll do a lot better. My kids. My damn kids snug out and got themselves candy for the road trip, you know, because now they're old <laughs> enough where they can they can do that. And uh, boy, boy, oh boy, is that a bad combination? Is three sugar high kids in a in an RV going down the road? Let me tell you. Oh yeah, I, I aggressively limit the sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're always like, "Oh no, it doesn't do anything." I'm like, "No, I've I've been there. I know it does. I know it does." Uh, you can go find our sponsor, a Cloud Guru, on social media. Did you know? Go check them out. Thanks to a Cloud Guru. Just go over to slash a Cloud Guru anywhere. This basically a social media site um, and uh, follow them there. You can follow Mike on Twitter. He's at Dumanuku and his company is at the Mad Botter Inc. I'm there too. Uh, I don't tweet a lot, but I'll, I'll reply to you. I do try to reply to you and I do try to read it, but I'm just not a big tweeter, but I'm over there on the Twitters. I'm at Chris LAS. And yeah, as you guessed it, the show has a Twitter too. That's real simple. It's at Coda Radio Show. You get news and announcements, and the network's over there at Jupiter Signal. If you want some links to what we talked about today, like to Mike's blog, you can go to coder.show slash 416. While you're over there, why not grab the feed? Subscribe to this here show. Get it every week. I mean, what are you doing? You can't subscribe? Take a minute. Go subscribe. And then consider joining us for a live show. We do them on Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern over at jblive.tv. And we'd love to hang out with you. Come see us. Mr. Dominic, is there anything you want to mention before we go? Uh, no, if you need any Python development done, let me know. We're C++ because apparently that's what I do now. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode, and we'll see you right back here next week. 